Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in this space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. All right, uh, welcome everyone to another exciting episode of the CRE Exchange. I'm Cole Perry, your host and the Senior Market Analyst at Altus Group, a leading provider of asset and fund level intelligence. I'm joined by Omar Eltsrai, our U.S. Director of Research. Uh, together, we'll share the latest news and trends in the U.S. CRE market that's caught our attention. Omar, it's good to see you. Great to see you too. So there's been some big events since we last spoke. I know you mentioned last week that you were watching Jay Powell's symposium in, in Jackson Hole. What did he indicate about the Fed's mission to curb inflation? How did the markets react? A lot came out of Jackson Hole last week when the Fed held their annual symposium. The key takeaways that I got from the event were a reiteration of the tightening policy that the Fed's had in place over the last year, but also a reiteration of the target rate for inflation. In his Friday speech, Chairman Powell stated that 2% is the target for inflation, not around 2%, but 2%, and acknowledged that good progress has been made at taming inflation, but that there's still quite a bit of work to be done to get the current rate of inflation down to that target rate. Also, Chairman Powell reiterated that further rate hikes are still on the table, if appropriate. So while this is mixed news where I don't think the markets want to see a rate hike, they reacted somewhat positively in the sense that they were clearly surprised and they did not sell off dramatically on Friday and through Friday. But I do think that it could mean that rates really do stay in this higher for longer trend. The markets really had mixed reactions in the sense that you didn't have a big surprise, but you do see from the futures markets that a lot of investors are really pricing in a changed path going forward. So looking at CME's FedWatch tool, we did see a shift in market probabilities for rate hikes through the end of the year. There's now a majority of the market that is pricing in additional rate hikes by the end of the year. So roughly around 54% is the probability for additional rate hikes at the end of the year. And this is up from a 32% chance that they had been pricing in a week earlier. And also the futures markets are showing that the pace at which rates are expected to be cut also shifting. So right now you have about two thirds probability or roughly around 60% anticipating that there will be a cut before next summer. And this is really down from around 80% prior to the speeches. I think that while there weren't really any major surprises, the fact that there's greater clarity that came from the symposium. And I think really reality is setting in across the markets that higher for longer Maybe here to stay. Yeah. So was there anything else you were looking at last week? Any indicators that you were looking at? Yeah. I, mean, I think one of the areas that got a lot of attention is mortgage rates. Freddie Mac reported that the average rate on 30-year fixed rate mortgage touched 7.23%. 
which is wow. it, it, yeah, that, <laughs> wow is right. <laughs> it's the highest level really since 2001, and maybe a little less surprising with these high rates is that MBA or the Mortgage Bankers Association also noted that new loan applications fell to the lowest level since 1995. I think that's both of those together make sense, but independently, they are quite notable. I think housing is an area that is absolutely affected by the cost of capital, but also you've seen the reduced supply of housing has helped explain why home prices have stayed quite high. But you're also seeing a lot of the home builders, which reported second quarter earnings much earlier this year or well over a month ago. They were putting some commentary to this around how they've been fueling some incentives for buying. They've, despite the rate environment, they've seen pretty steady demand for their new homes. And so that's something that I've been watching. And I think you've been watching some of the housing metrics as well. Right. And to put some numbers to some of this, the National Association of Home Builders last week released data on new home and existing home sales. And so I think a little over 700,000 new home sales in July. And that's almost up 40% year on year. But existing home sales are down 15% year on year. There are about 4 million sales in July. And I think some of that ties back to what we were talking about just a minute ago, because the only supply coming online is the new supply. Because with rates like this, who wants to move around and who wants to refinance? You're going to stay put and stick with the mortgage you have. And so folks closer to the city center are not moving. So I think Noting a lot of the other uh, questions about mortgage and higher cost of capital, we may continue to see existing home sales decline. But two new home sales, we've been discussing that there's some softness in the development pipeline. So looking at permit data starts and construction data, permits are down 13%. Multifamily permits are down 32%. If you look at starts, they've remained relatively flat, are up 6% total but are completely flat for multifamily development. So that multifamily pipeline is coming to a screeching halt pretty soon. Now, talking about construction, construction is totally flat, but under the hood, something really interesting is happening. Single family under construction has gone down 17%, but multifamily under construction is up a bit. So these have finally gotten off the ground, but starts and permits are down quite a bit. So extrapolate this out a couple of quarters or, or a year or two. And I think the development pipeline for, for multifamily is really drying up. And I think that's particularly interesting to me because traditionally you would expect that if mortgage rates are going up, you're pricing people out of the single family housing market. This might be considered a boon for multifamily. So I think we're, we're bound to see some in this data. I don't know if you had any other thoughts on, on what you're seeing in the development pipeline or what this might mean. Yeah. When I was looking at overall construction costs, if you look at the construction materials cost index, it's a fine way of looking at overall construction cost inflation. And while that has been up pretty substantially over the last three-year period, it is actually down from the peak that followed the post-pandemic recovery, right? And so we've seen that fall about 4% year on year. However, it's been growing at a clip of 
around 7% for the last five years. So I think a lot of home builders doing construction may have gotten a recent kind of like short-term reprieve from these escalating construction costs, which I think is certainly beneficial. But at the same time, you know, if you take a little bit longer perspective, you can see that cost inflation is still quite substantial recently. And then going to one of the comments you made around the interplay between the cost of buying a home versus renting. While I was going back through the home builder earnings calls, I couldn't help but notice that there was like mixed feelings on a higher rate environment that should absolutely be a positive to multifamily rents, but it also dries up the ability to buy new homes. And I would say the consensus view across many of the home builders was that rent growth is expected to be flat, but right. the, the lack of existing home sales will help keep steady demand for housing. Right. These, these two could offset one another yeah. in a somewhat ironic way. Exactly. And so I thought that was interesting and at least notable from their perspective of what they anticipate coming. So I know that we're looking at one indicator this week. We've got construction spending, which will come at the end of the week. We record this typically on Mondays. So we've got a couple other things we're looking out for. Um, I know I'm going to be watching the Consumer Confidence Index, which will come out on the 29th. And then the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, along with the ADP Employment Survey, and we'll get quarterly GDP by the time we speak next. So a big week for indicators. Hopefully we have some more next week to talk about in the macro econ sphere. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big week. I know that you've been listening to a lot of earnings calls. Were there any highlights that you wanted to call out? Sure. I think there were two big ones in the tech world. And one of them was Zoom. Zoom has actually performed a little bit better than expected, beat expectations. And they've been maintaining some institutional clients, which I think is an indicator of how sort of the return to office is going. If Zoom can maintain this more elevated over pre-pandemic situation, then I think they're expecting or we could reasonably expect that folks are doing a lot more remote work. And I think video was another one. I don't know if you had a, any insights about kind of uh, artificial intelligence, what that means for technology. That was an interesting one. Yeah, I think the growth in that space is, I mean, we've watched a whole kind of market just pop up from out of nowhere over the last year. I think there's definitely been a lot of excitement and high expectations for growth. And they've beat them. Yeah, now they beat them. And I think imagination is running wild as to how big this could be. And so I think it'll be certainly worth watching, whether it's from a market perspective, because it's absolutely has the attention of the collective market and can very much move the market, but also is fascinating to see how this plays out through the real economy in terms of whether it's data centers or going back to how we work, as well as I think they call out a lot of adoption within entertainment as well. Honestly, this is a space that I'm not the most technical of minds, but it is something we're all going to need to get sharper on Absolutely. going forward. In a less technical sector, we had some more retail earnings. And as a reminder, these lag most other earnings calls because the retail quarter ends a month later due to wanting to include the holiday season in the fourth quarter. And so a lot of these are still trickling in. So we had lows this week. 
We talked a little bit about Home Depot last week, and you had an extremely similar story. They beat earnings expectations, but they fell short on revenue. Just like Home Depot, a pullback in DIY customers. But interestingly, stable demand from professional customers, so electricians, contractors. I thought that's an interesting indicator to me. But they also had a lower demand on large ticket items like appliances. I think this is a story you've been seeing across most other sectors that demand is really slowing in large part due to inflation for large appliances and durable goods. I wonder how much of that actually goes back to some of those housing comments we made. Of uh, yeah. If there's fewer existing home sales, but it's mostly driven by new home sales, right? I would right. think that there are fewer, there's fewer need for DIY projects exactly. given that it's a brand new home. So there's two things going on. And one of the things that they said was really interesting. And that's those DIY customers are they're still there, but they're doing much smaller projects now. So if you have an existing home, you're not replacing an air conditioner, but you might be replacing light switches. Just the demand is really shifting. And I think they mentioned that about a quarter of their customers are professional customers, but those professional customers make up about half of their revenue. So I think that Lowe's and Home Depot, definitely to, to keep an eye out for. I think it's not just what's happening with their earnings, but what people are actually buying. Yeah. So the, the next was really interesting to me. This one was Dollar Tree I was looking at, and they had high quarterly sales, higher quarterly sales. So same store sales were up 7% for Dollar Tree. They also own Family Dollar and same store sales were up 8%. They had greater foot traffic, and all these sound great, but they are seeing customers turn to lower priced items. Saw the same thing in the Lowe's earnings call. People are turning towards smaller items that, than they previously have been. Burlington was another one. Their earnings were up a bit and they have a low income customer base that's really under pressure from inflation. And unlike Dollar Tree, who sells food and other consumables, Burlington really sees the pressure. So their lower income customer base who would likely need to spend that discretionary income on paying higher prices for consumable goods, they're turning away from purchasing some of these consumer goods like coats and jackets and shoes. They're just pushing off those purchases now. Burlington does a lot of layaway, in which case our higher lending costs really hit their customer base. So I think they're worried about their rest of the year outlook, but interesting one to keep watch for because I think unlike last week where we saw a really good quarter for Ross and TJ Maxx, which tend to collect customers from all across the income spectrum, Burlington really collects an income niche that's going to be hit hard by, let's say, con continued inflation. Dick Sporting Goods reported last week and they got hammered. Profit was down 23%. And just a lot of the large ticket items, durable goods, sporting goods really take a hit when prices go up. They changed their outlook for the rest of the year. And that quarterly decline was more or less expected by the market. And so they, but they did see shares dip quite a bit. The bottom line here is that the same thing across all these calls was mentioned. They're really concerned about theft and loss prevention. I think there's some trickle-down effects from that to CRE. If you don't end up keeping your higher expense items or your large ticket items in store, all that's going to have to go back to the warehouse. This might see some interesting impacts in the industrial space. What are you thinking about some of these retailers? What's interesting to you? 
I think the consumer, how much longer the consumer has to spend. If you rewind the clock, really, so pre-pandemic, you had a pretty stabilized savings rate and relatively much lower cost of consumer credit. Hit the pandemic, you have a huge injection of cash and liquidity just across all of the economy, including the consumer. Consumers' balance sheets really coming immediately out of the pandemic, but uh, all the way up till about a year ago, looked super healthy and was maybe just starting to deteriorate in terms of savings starting to be drawn to fuel additional consumption. But I think there were a number of calls in terms of how fast consumers will be able to go through their accumulated savings. Yeah, uh, Home Depot and, and Lowe's are still operating on a relatively elevated performance relative to where they were pre-pandemic. And I think that needs to be noted when we talk about their year-on-year earnings. Yeah, but I would say that whether you look at like credit card costs, if you look at like personal loan costs, and you have already a diminished savings from the pandemic, But then on top of that, you have the student loans coming into effect starting in October. Now is the time that I am curious, how much longer can consumers actually fuel spending? When are we going to actually see the consumer come back? You have mixed messages and mixed signals because overall, if you're looking at like the performance of consumer credit, it's still looking pretty good, right? Like nothing has broken quite yet. And logic would suggest that maybe... This is not a sustainable pace of consumer spending, but there's also nothing. You don't see the cracks that you might expect to see going into or coming out of a rapid recovery slash expansion and going into this kind of next phase of a credit cycle. I am still perplexed by it and shocked that despite sentiment softening, that there still is the data saying that consumers are spending But the rise of shrink theft or just, I would say, items that go missing, I don't know if it's widespread, but I can tell you if I go to my local CVS, they have everything locked up. And that that very much does change like the... And even low cost items. Um, So they're really concerned about this. Yeah. Apparently deodorant is like a hot item for shrink, right? So that's something that... But it very much changes like how the shopping experience... It very well could push people to just do their shopping online. Exactly. If if it becomes so inconvenient in person, I could totally see that being the case. Yeah. So, Uh, Omar, I think that's all the time we've got. I want to thank you for coming on, but I look forward to speaking with you next week. Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange podcast powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.